I have to, to be careful not to just sound like an old man, you know, say things are <laughs> terrible. Yeah. They used to be better and now they're terrible. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I was hating setting you up that way. I don't yeah, know. thanks. So, um, <laughs> Welcome back to The Shepherd's Voice with Archbishop George J. Lucas. Uh, good to be with you again, Archbishop. Thank you. Happy for the conversation. We're picking up again on the theme of Respect Life Month. October is Respect Life Month. And uh, as we were talking last time with, uh, with Whitney uh, Bradley, who works in our Respect Life Apostolate, you mentioned the, the importance of shaping public policy and the, the church's commitment to do so regarding our understanding of human life and human dignity. So. We'll start in with the, the big questions. Where does this commitment come from? How do we understand the church's commitment to what modernity would usually call specific issues, in quotes? I'm using scare quotes right there. You can't see that. But scare quotes around issues uh, related to human life. It's important that we don't see the church's teaching or the church's position as reactionary. There are a lot of um, challenges these days, both in culture and in law, to the, the understanding of the dignity of the, of the human person. But uh, the church isn't simply reacting to those and kind of pushing back in a, in a reactionary way. From the very beginning of the scriptures, we understand the, the, the dignity that God has in mind uh, for the men and women that, that are created in, in his own image. That's reinforced throughout the history of salvation in a variety of ways. Certainly, we see it in, uh, in the scriptures and then in the person and in the teaching of, of Jesus, who is both God and man, who um, has come to be with us, fully a member of the human family, the sort of absolute affirmation on the part of our Heavenly Father that human life, that, that human dignity has a great sanctity and the centerpiece of, of God's creative love. The teaching has been articulated in a variety of ways. Uh, Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul, wrote a beautiful encyclical on the gospel of life. So he kind of put our teaching on the dignity of the human person in the context of evangelization. So it's a, an understanding that, that we have of God's design and God's plan, but also a gift that we bring as followers of Jesus Christ to our world. So it's not just something that we keep for ourselves or try to defend, but that we really try to, to share this gospel, this good news about the life and dignity of, of the human person so that others can hear it and learn about it, reflect on it, and, and perhaps adopt it as their own understanding and, uh, uh, as, uh, as part of God's plan. Because we have been sent out by Jesus as missionary disciples, we uh, understand that the church's uh, teaching on the dignity of the human person is, is not only something that we use to shape our own life and decisions, but that we are asked by the Lord to have an influence on the society, the community in, in which we find ourselves. So the, the, the church in modern times gets involved in uh, trying to shape public policy on the local level, on the state level, uh, the, the national level, again, really as um, a following of the, of the mandate of Jesus. He doesn't tell us to be lobbyists exactly. Right. <laughs> but it's, that's one of the ways that, that we find that, that we can have an influence, particularly in our country where we have a participatory uh, democracy where it's possible to choose those who represent us in government and then have an influence uh, on them, have, through them have an influence on who serves in the courts and in other positions of, of responsibility. We 
try to take our role as faithful citizens, disciples of Jesus, seriously in making our voice heard, uh, again, offering the, the gospel of life as a gift to uh, the culture in which we live, because we do believe it's good, both for individuals and, and for us as a society. We've talked on this podcast before about uh, the work locally of the, uh, or locally meaning statewide, on behalf of the three bishops uh, done by the Nebraska Catholic Conference, who advance the public policy interests and priorities of the three bishops in union together, advancing this this vision of the common good. So, what do you what do you see as our pastor as the the challenges or the particular threats here and now? The primary responsibility, I think, is to highlight the evil of abortion and to recognize that even though we hear that the overall number of abortions across the country is declining in recent years, the number is still enormous, hundreds of thousands a year across the country. There are a significant number here in the state of Nebraska and in neighboring states. The bishops continue to recognize that as a, as a primary focus of our, of our pro-life uh, activity uh, for several reasons. Uh, the first is Jesus has asked us to, to care most especially for the, for the little ones and for those in society who are most vulnerable. And certainly the child in the womb is the example of that uh, in our time. And because in a variety of ways abortion is protected by law, the life of the unborn child is, is particularly vulnerable. It's uh, incumbent on the rest of us to keep our focus on, on the life and the dignity of, of that child and, and to try to create or influence laws and, and public policies that, that will ensure the, the dignity of that child, which comes from God, not from someone else. One of the fundamental challenges is this view, as you just said, this opposition between the state that grants laws and the dignity of the human person being God-given, and that there's a confusion about this in our, in our time. We don't have, uh, you know, it's clear that there is not unanimity across the country when every citizen about what is the, the ground on which you can base respect for the rights and, and the good of another person. And we see that calculation happening all the time. Some classes are, some aren't. So we can kill people at the end of life, or if they want to kill themselves, that's okay. Or if we, we don't really need this unborn child, okay, we'll dispose of them. That's a, a sort of core point of synthesis for what the church says about, about dignity is it runs counter to a lot of the popular understanding of what a right is and where it comes from. The church uh, carries out her mission in several different manifestations around this truth of the dignity of, of each human person. So we do, through the Nebraska Catholic Conference, try to influence the discussions that, that go on in Lincoln about law and public policy, uh, try to help legislators understand perhaps a more expansive view of, of the dignity of, of the human person as we would understand it from the Christian gospel so that if they would be moved by the Holy Spirit, have the desire to, to support laws that uphold the dignity of the human person, that they have an understanding of, of why they would want to do that and, and they have some sort of philosophical and spiritual ground uh, to, to stand on. At the same time, we try, again, it's the, with the encouragement of the recent popes, to have an, an influence on the hearts and minds of people around us, because this is a cultural problem, not simply a legal one. The two go together. Mm -hmm. So the, the more, both within the church and then, then beyond, who can come to um, a true understanding of the dignity of the human person, and, and in the case we're talking about, the dignity of the, of the child in the womb, then together we're moved to 
offer the help, support, whatever that sort of demonstrates our, our belief to our neighbors in real practical ways and our families and in, in our communities. And as more and more of, of our neighbors begin to accept the Christian understanding of the dignity of the human person on some level at least. And it's a very rational thing to, to come to understand. It's not only a religious truth. Then uh, good law and good policy uh, tend to, to follow. Mm-hmm. And, and it's easier to bring not only pressure but light uh, to bear on, on those who have the particular responsibility of crafting law and policy because there's more of a groundswell on this important issue of the respect for the human person. We were talking about the challenges particular to our community here locally across across the 23 counties, across the state. What are the um, other places where you see this this work being needed, that of, of advocating in policy for the dignity of the human person where there are threats? Our uh, Catholic social teaching is very rich. We have an absolute understanding of the need to protect life in the womb, but then every human person has the right to live in dignity and to flourish throughout the, the span of of his or her life. Many of us have the ability to take some of the responsibility on ourselves, to take care of ourselves and provide for ourselves, provide for others who uh, depend on us. But uh, here again, we have the clear teaching of, of Jesus that we need to be alert to the needs of anyone in the community who would be struggling in a particular way that would at least seem to speak against their dignity as as a child of God and as a brother and sister of ours. So there are a variety of issues these days that, that we look at the plight of migrants at the border, both our own borders, but other places in the world. It's sometimes startling for us to learn that not very far from where we live, there are children that don't have enough food to eat every day, mm-hmm. or maybe don't have a decent place to live, or, or they're the victims of, of violence, or, or at least are, are in uh, situations that, that are, are prone to violence. More and more in our society, even in here, here in our own state, uh, we hear those calling for protection in law for uh, procedures that we would call assisted suicide or euthanasia. So that at a, another vulnerable point of life, the end of life, there are, are laws or policies being proposed that, that would diminish the, the absolute dignity of, of human life at, at that point, too. So some of those uh, procedures have been enshrined. The protections for those have been enshrined in law in other places in our country. Mm-hmm. Not here, thank God, but, it, but they're proposed regularly and talked about. So really from the very beginning of human life, the moment of conception to the time of natural death, we see the beauty of God's plan. Sometimes there's a struggle for either the person, him or herself, or those who are close by and who are invited to care or support for, for someone who is, is weak or in a vulnerable position. We see, though, that it's, it's, our, it's the call we have from the Lord and it's our privilege uh, to be in solidarity with our brothers and sisters, especially those who are, who are struggling, and to reach out to them in, uh, in practical ways, neighborly ways, not simply waiting for the, the law or the state to protect somebody who's in trouble. We hope that our public policies and the resources that come together in the state can be directed in helpful ways uh, to meet the, the needs of vulnerable persons in our, in our communities. But we simply don't leave that to the to the state and say, that's really not my worry. Some, some mechanism is going to take care of that. Right. Uh, yeah. Jesus wants us to be personally related to and concerned about the needs of our brothers and sisters. It's all part of our understanding of the, the dignity of, of, of the human person. There are these particular threats. Again, I, I 
emphasize the particular threat of abortion in our time in recent decades. But our concern doesn't stop with that threat or, or with that issue. It's, it's the beautiful thing about our Catholic teaching, really, and it, it all flows from, from the same font. So we have a concern for the migrants. We have a concern for the frail elderly. We have a concern for the, for the unborn child. We don't trade one off for another right. uh, yep. or kind of say, well, I don't really have to be concerned about this aspect of our culture where, where there's a where the culture seems to diminish the, the dignity of a, of a person or, or of a group because I'm really involved in, in something else. Different members of our community have a particular calling and I think a particular energy and maybe a particular competence in, in one area or another, so thank God. We had someone from the St. Vincent de Paul uh, Society on with us recently, you know, and so th- there are these beautiful people in our community who want to make sure that their neighbors have food and that they have a place to live, yeah. the clothing that they need. We have others that are involved in crisis pregnancy centers mm-hmm. so that a a woman, a couple who find themselves struggling with the temptation of, of abortion can find a, a beautiful welcome and, and support by members of the community, many of them Catholic, who have dedicated themselves to, to that particular role. There are others who are dedicated to supporting moms after the kids are born and, and mm-hmm. helping them become good parents and learning how to, to raise their children in a, in a healthy and, and holy way. So there are all kinds of, of opportunities. And so often, we have the the chance to, to maybe be in, involved more in in one of them, but we have this broad understanding in our Catholic faith, and it really is the gift that we bring to our neighbors, to to our culture in our time, through the media, through our consumer culture. They're they're just all, are all kind of things that lead us to be kind of crass or utilitarian hmm. about our own life, also about the lives of our neighbors, and to think that. So we make the plans and we get to decide what's useful and what's practical and what's helpful and or even what's comfortable or easy, what, even if that means somehow diminishment of my own dignity or, or I sort of tolerate that in the culture concerning the, the dignity of another person. So how, how do you see the culture being different or have you seen it change? Do you see the, do you see the challenges differently now than when you arrived here 10 years ago or, or sometime before that? Yeah, I think there are trends that have been going on for a while that, that continue. And, you know, I'm, I have to, to be careful not to just sound like an old man, you know, say things <laughs> are terrible. Yeah. They used to be better and now they're terrible. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I was hate setting you up that way. I don't yeah, know. thanks. So, um, <laughs> I was ordained to the priesthood in 1975. Yeah. So the Roe versus Wade decision was just a couple years old then. And I think I remember us all still being in shock about that, that that there would be such a dramatic change in the legal protection or the lack of protection for, for the unborn in our country. It changed in one day. So I think the church really was blessed with great leadership in those days, but I think there was a sense that we were kind of scrambling to catch up with that. And But we have, uh, I think, been able, with along with many of our neighbors in, in the community, who also see the, the value of the of the life of the unborn child to figure out how to initiate restrictions and other protections so that the promotion mm-hmm. of abortion and the, and the easy access, so-called easy access to abortion, you know, that, that that has been but somewhat limited. But as I said earlier, you know, the number of abortions year by year is still an enormous uh, number. There's been a an attempt to try to raise up and form good candidates to serve in the courts where these things seem to be often decided so that we won't continue to have to live under kind of the imposition of, of the Roe versus Wade decision that takes away from states and other 
local jurisdictions the opportunity for the community to speak about this in a way that could be good and, and supportive of, mm-hmm. of life. Certainly the electronic media has changed tremendously just you know in the in the last few years i've been a bishop for almost 20 years and there's a whole new world of electronics digital media phones I mean, we call them phones, but you don't, we don't really call people on yeah, them so much as, computers, as yeah. use, use, use them to access different forms of, of media and, and entertainment. That's created an ability to communicate in one sense, but also for, uh, a, uh, a tendency towards isolation. Our American culture was sort of geared up to promote that, in any case, a kind of rugged individualism, you might say. And I think, again, with, with due respect from the a great deal of our, the Protestant heritage in, in this country where we saw the relationship with God as an individual thing, religion as, as just my private Concern again. I don't mean to be disrespectful of, of anyone's uh, beliefs, but that we were kind of set up here for the digital revolution and, and for the being kind of consumed by the devices that we have. So we're kind of in our own in our own little world. But having said that, just to acknowledge that that's kind of where the devil goes to work on us when we're isolated. That really is the is the work of the devil. And so many of the threats against the dignity of human life, and so many of the ways we kind of slip into having a lack of respect ourselves comes from from isolation. Our culture has grown more violent, and often we see violence as a solution. We're tempted to see that as a solution for something that's frightening us or that seems burdensome, mm-hmm. whether it's an unwanted pregnancy, whether it's um, a real sick and infirm relative, whether it's my own self who's sick and, and infirm and, and others will say life doesn't have any, any meaning anymore. But in, we're, when we're kind of left with our own thoughts or just what, in kind of an echo chamber of media that talks about life in a, in a way that's crass and without an, an eternal value, we can begin to see sometimes violent solutions as the way to solve what seems to be a, a, an insurmountable problem. We also, I mean, I think it's, you know, I don't mean to, to make a joke of it, but, you know, we're, we're, when we have our noses buried in our devices, whether we're walking or driving or sitting at home or whatever, we're, we're not so likely to, to see the, the neighbor mm-hmm. who would be in need. Uh, and we're consuming, whether it's entertainment or, or ordering material things on it from Amazon or whatever, again, it, it, it might be the thought that we're in a that God has put us in a, in a community of uh, other human persons where we can drive great benefit from these from relationships but also have the responsibility of, of contributing and particularly of being uh, conscious of the needs of, of those who are who are in trouble who might need something that we have to give if we could see them and pay attention to them so I mean it, it's sort of a cliche that the world is changing quickly and I'm, I'm 70 years old and it's changed a lot during my lifetime continues to to do that but I it's important for us as followers of Jesus to look at both the challenges and the opportunities that, that are part of our life through the lens of the gospel and to see what where is the opportunity, but also where is the threat or, or, or the temptation, and to be able to name, name things as they are. It's the, it's the prophetic gift that I think the Holy Spirit gives us to call a thing a thing, and some of what we enjoy in our time is, is really beautiful and bountiful, and some of it is clearly not good for us. I was just struck by that word. There was a word that came to mind as you, you were talking about isolation, then it went to individualism, right? So that's like, it's kind of the move that you see people. And in some of those really dire circumstances, we hear about the stories of people who do something really violent, lash out, shoot random people, that sort of thing. You can't, can't explain it all the way. There's the mystery of evil, of course, but often these, these weren't people with a rich sense of community, 
a rich experience of community most of the time. You know, they didn't just, this happens, I mean, different people have different experiences, but that typically that phenomenon is, it has those contours of isolation, individualism. And then the, the word, as you, as you said about a community, I think is atomization. You know, if I, I'm just a, an atom floating in a, a relatively meaningless universe, I'm just a thing in an environment and I construe meaning according to my whims or, you know, I, I look at it in terms of markets and therefore my highest calling is as consumer because that's what the report every day on, you know, the, on NPR calls me a consumer. I'm a consumer, right? That's my identity. There are all these temptations to reduce our identity. And so I think, yeah, it's very, you're right. That is a prophetic uh, witness. It's a prophetic calling to say, these are the ways in which we're, we're tempted, you know, whether, whether the flavor was different 50 years ago than now, this, there's always a temptation. There's always a, uh, there are always forces working against our, our, our good and our better nature to get us to reduce our v- vision of life, right? Or reduce our desire to not be for, as you said, uh, that eternal horizon, but my navel <laughs> and, and, and no further. And so then, yeah. So then, when you bump into other people, they are, they're inconveniences, right? They're, they're problems. They're not for me. They're not a good for me. Anyway, that, I think that's a very helpful point of clarification for this simple experience of like, what experience do you have of, of communion as a, an ordained priest and bishop? Me as a layman with a family? Like if we don't have that experience, um, we don't have something to bring to the others. But so it's in, I'm sorry, I'm stringing this together, but I think that there's, there's a point there for, for anyone, whatever walk of life they're in, that you have something to bring because of this experience you've had of, of love. You can go and love other people, and it's going to take shape on we get together, we make laws, we do these other things, but we're involved in everything because someone who, who created everything loves us. And he's created us for, for communion. Yep. So the, the, the fundamental truth is, is the truth of communion, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to the extent that we understand ourselves created in the image and likeness of God, means that we're created for communion. As I said before, the work of the devil is isolation. The work of Jesus, or better to say the mission of Jesus, his saving mission, is communion. And he invites us into that, to be in communion with, with the Trinity in, in and through him, but then to participate in, to foster, to deepen the bonds of communion where we find ourselves. And that's family, that's neighborhood, workplace, <laughs> school, any place where, where there are people, we're not to see that, as you were saying, as a group of atoms, just kind of like a bunch of marbles in a box, you know, <laughs> right. just rattling around together, but that we have a connection. Jesus uses the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, to ask us to see our, that my identity is as neighbor. That, that there's there are other people out there, and I and I need to ask myself who who are they to me, and who am I to them? And often in our modern culture, I might think, well, they're all they're all out there for me. They're out there for my sake. And if they're not convenient to me at the moment, or not serving my needs, I push them out of the way, or maybe even eliminate them. Mm-hmm. You know, because of my my individual identity and plan and desire, need, whatever takes precedence over everything else. And it's simply not the the, the human gospel. The, the Christian gospel, sorry, it's not the human, um, it's not our human nature. And we see the, the wreckage of trying to live that way. Around us, we've seen it generation after generation through time, but, but we were faced with it, both with the temptations against human life and dignity and the fallout for making bad, often violent decisions in our own time.
One final question, which may be, this is the problem I find in, in people of a certain age, or I think it's in multiple generations now, there's a, you know, there's a fair amount of cynicism around us. Do laws really make a difference? Do they really help people to have a reverence for human life? Can they actually do that? Are the, will the law actually change anything? It's a very good question. Related to the question, do the laws shape culture? Or does culture shape, shape the law? And I think it, we'd like to think it goes um, both ways. At a minimum, uh, we should have laws that uh, protect those who are vulnerable. So whether together we see the value of the vulnerable person or, or we're held back from harming them by the force of, of the law, it's, it's a good thing at minimum mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that those who are, are vulnerable are, are protected. I do think, though, it's been our experience in, in our, our Western culture, you, you want to put it that way, that, that law is important. We try to infuse, you know, in our own life and experience and, and in our, to the extent that we have a, an influence through evangelization, try to infuse it with a rich understanding of freedom and that the, the laws help guide us uh, to, to use the gift of freedom in, in a way that is respectful. Again, living in a, in a community, we don't need these laws if we don't have to have anything to do with one another. But that's not our experience is not what God intends. So if we're going to live together, work together, take care of one another, all of us flawed in some way by, by the effects of sin, then to have guidelines, regulations, laws that protect us and, and help us sort of live in the bounds of a proper understanding of, of, the, of human life and dignity of the human community, I, I think they're, they're important. Any final thoughts or words of encouragement? I would just encourage us not to be defensive about our understanding of human life and dignity. So it's a beautiful truth that God communicates to us in his creative plan. And it's a truth now that our Lord Jesus Christ invites us to share with others. Nobody's going to believe it from us if we're not living it ourselves. We can't live it perfectly. But if, especially in the Catholic community, if we're really known as respectful neighbors, if we really kind of take the initiative to, to care respectfully for, for those who are in need, if we're known as, as those who just surround someone who's tempted to do something violent, whether it's a pregnant mother or a young person who's just sort of fed up or at the end of their rope, whoever, whoever it might be, surround them with love and, and care and continue to respect them. If that's, that's what we're known for, there's an attraction there. Mm -hmm. So yes. we, we do want to try to have an influence on laws and policies. We do want to continue to talk about what's really true and good in, in God's plan. But we're called to be better people than, than we are so far. We preach the gospel of life with our lives as well as with our words and, and with our policies. That's not said to be scolding anybody. I'm, I'm talking to myself first. But I would encourage us, especially during this Respect Life Month, to pray and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what's, what's really both being asked of us now, but also what's possible for us, and to help us to see the need close to us where we could make a, a, a practical difference, either individually in the life of a neighbor or collectively in the life of our community, of, of, of our state, and then to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, take the step to be a little bit more active, a little bit more assertive, perhaps on, on behalf of, of the life and the dignity of the human person. Thank you again, Archbishop. Thanks very much. Good to be with you. Thank you for listening to The Shepherd's Voice, a podcast of the Archdiocese of Omaha. For more information, 
visit archomaha.org slash podcast. 